0: continue in the book of James. We are going to finish out chapter two tonight. We talked in chapter one, in the first part of chapter two, a few weeks ago, about all kinds of different topics, trials, temptations, being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We talked about favoritism, and now we're going to be talking about faith, authentic faith. When you think about authentic things, does that usually have a, a positive or negative connotation? Do people like authentic Typically, yeah, right. If you go to a like a Mexican restaurant or an Italian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, uh, one of the first questions you're asking those you're with or yourself, or you're just thinking to yourself, what what kind of food is this? Is this authentic or not? Right. You're not looking to go to a place with with knockoff <laughs> Chinese knockoff food. Like you want you want good. Uh, you don't want American Chinese. You want Chinese Chinese. You want authentic food. When you think about buying clothes, right, glasses. Um, Purses, whatever it might be. Not, you don't want that knockoff stuff. You, you want the original. You want um, you authenticity. That's a big deal. right? If you're thinking about buying a classic car or an old home, what do you look for? You look for original parts. You want authenticity. When you think about being in a church, you think about going to a grow group, getting to know a group of people. Do you want them to be fake? No. What are you looking for? Authenticity. You guys are good. You're catching on. You're looking for authenticity. And so what is God, what does he define our faith as? There's a fake faith, there's an authentic faith. And tonight, I hope that in your heart, he defines it a little bit for you. Not only what you currently are experiencing, but what he desires for you to have, an authentic faith in him and what that looks like. And so... We're going to jump in. We're going to be talking about three types of faith James is. Remember, this is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's going to be teaching us about three types of faith. Two of them are fake. They're not good, but they're ones that we probably all struggle with at times or have. And then the last one is the one that we want. It's the authentic faith. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it up. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. That's what we're going to be in tonight. We'll start in verse 14. It says... Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say, you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Verse 25 and 26. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. All right, you guys might be familiar with this passage. This is um, a convicting passage of Scripture. So let's walk through this. We're going to stop three places. Let's stop on the first few verses, verses 14 through 17. Let's talk about the first type of faith. This is dead faith. Everyone say dead dead faith. This is dead faith. So this is one of the types of faith you don't want. It's dead. He says, what good is it? What good is it? You ever think to yourself you're in a church and you're thinking, man, like, what are we doing here? What's the purpose of all this? Like, like should we just come and sing songs and, and kind of talk about God or listen uh, to someone else talk about God? Like, what, what are we doing here? You're going to see this theme of action and producing and moving forward all throughout this passage. What good is it? Dear brothers and sisters. So this is an apostle. This is the leader in the Jerusalem church writing to those who had been scattered, other Jews who started to follow Jesus, but now they're experiencing persecution. They're separated from James. They're scattered throughout the Middle East and and they're starting to settle down again. They had been uprooted and this letter is to them. And so he's calling us brothers and sisters, yet he's the half-brother of Jesus. There's humility in that. It's good to be part of a family. Amen? If you see, if you say, that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. And that's, that's dead. Like So if you and I are going over to this wall over here, and the electrical outlet needs to be changed, something's wrong with it, but we know power's coming to that thing, and, and so I go and I, I turn off um, the breaker, and, and I come back to you and you say, did you turn it off? Is there power? And I say, yeah, yeah, I believe that it's turned off. And you say, okay, well, go ahead and jump in, unscrew those screws and get in there and and swap that thing out. No, and you could get shocked. And I say, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Well, you would rightly look at me and say, what's the point? Like, why would you even say that you believe there's no power if you're not going to actually do anything? If it doesn't change anything, then it doesn't change anything. And this is what he's saying about those of us who give lip service to God. We say, God, I believe, but nothing's changed. And so we'll come to church. We'll blame God. God, why aren't you changing my life? Why haven't I seen amazing transformation? All these other Christians, they talk about your presence, Holy Spirit's inside of me. And they're like, oh, I experienced God. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't experience God at all. And God's saying, that's because you haven't taken any steps of faith. Are you actually following me or did you pray a prayer one time and now you're blaming me for not being present in a life that's neglected me since that prayer you prayed? Can that kind of faith save anyone? That is a huge question. Can that kind of faith save anyone? And he's going to say no. Here's an example to illustrate that very thing. Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Now, let's stop there. A little side note. We've got to be careful as believers that we don't talk ourselves out of actually serving God. Like we've got a million excuses, but you think about... Um, the majority of the people in this room have seen homeless people. Have we not? I'm guessing all of us. We've seen people who have need. And what happens for the typical evangelical? You feel convicted one day, so you stop, you help them out. Then you hear all your other evangelical friends talk about, well, you know they're going to use that for drugs. You know there's going to be alcohol. You know this, that. You know they don't really need that money. And so what happens in our little evangelical circles, we start to talk ourselves out of ever helping anyone again because one guy one time abused what we helped him with. Now, is it true that people abuse things when you help them? Yeah. Is it true that we abuse grace all the time, even though God's given it to us? Unfortunately. We've got to be careful that we don't let our hearts get hard. Use wisdom. Use discernment, right? If you sense something's not right, man, you might go with that. But don't talk yourself out of doing good deeds in this particular example of helping someone who needs it. So you say, hey, I recognize there's a problem. So you don't have food. You're starving to death and you're naked. That's a problem. Would that be a problem for any of y'all? I ain't got no clothes. And I ain't got no food. It's not a very good day. It's a bad day in the neighborhood. And he's saying, but you don't actually do anything about it. Did you save them? I know, they're going to die if they're not helped. So he says, can that kind of faith save you? Let me give you an example. Physically, let me teach you physically a principle that I'm trying to teach you spiritually. That if someone's starving to death and they're naked, and all you say is, I hope you're well fed and stay warm, but you don't actually help them. Are they going to live or are they going to die? going to die. He's saying that's what's happening in your heart spiritually. When you say, I follow Jesus. I want everyone to know. I went to FCA for like four years in a row. It was awesome. Made half my friends that way. At least mom and dad think that I'm a Christian because I was doing some of that stuff. But do we actually follow Jesus? Do we actually obey him? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now that's a that's a big statement. We're going to talk about that at the end. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul's writings and, and faith and deeds there. Um, so we'll, we'll touch base on that a little bit later. Unless it produces, so that's an action, produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So our faith is meant to accomplish something. Here's what he's ultimately saying. He's talking about dead faith. And he says this is, this is where you need to redefine or define maybe for the first time what faith really is. So there's a belief part of faith right? And, and then there's an action part of faith. It's where your belief and your behavior collide, where you say, wow, I have seen what Jesus has done on the cross. I believe that he did that for me, and this is going to change things. And he's saying, if you, if you say that you follow Jesus, but you don't actually do anything, that's not faith. That's belief. But is that, is that enough to show that you actually love God? That you actually follow Jesus? No, like if you said that to your spouse, I told you on our wedding day, I do. Now you expect me to show you at some point in our marriage that I actually love you? I just feel like that's a little too much. They would say, yeah, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And God's looking at us saying, when you, when you were wed to God, when we, the bride of Christ, became married to Jesus, when you placed your faith, like, there's expectation that it's going to lead To behavior, to life change. If not, man, what was that? Did you just say like a prayer because someone told you to pray a prayer? What was it? What happened? It's like you're inviting your friends over to see your new car. They jump in, you start the engine. It's got an engine and it runs pretty good, but they don't have a transmission, so you don't go anywhere. What are they going to say to you? This is useless. They say, like James, like, what's the point of that? What good is it, brothers and sisters? You might lose some friends. Some of us, we can't, af- we can't afford to lose any more friends. We, we, need, we, we don't want that to happen. James is saying, man, it's not good. So you might say, what does this say about me? Well, that's where we've got to trust God's Spirit. God's Word is speaking to you. We've got to trust God's Spirit to tell you, like, where are you at in your faith? Do you have some belief? Maybe you don't have any belief at all maybe you got belief, but you don't have any action. Maybe tonight's that night where you realize, I think I've, I've been deceived a little bit about what following Jesus is really about. You're going to find, you'd be hard-pressed to find a passage in all of Scripture where the author tries to convince his people more than he does. He gives us four or five illustrations through this whole thing. But it's easy. Um easy to fall into this trap. I, when I was 16, 17 years old, and I 16 I guess, and I got my license, I had an old beater of a truck, 1984 Chevy Scottsdale, but I loved that thing. I would, I would drive it around the country roads in northeast Kansas and just had a good old time. And I remember we had a, a junkyard like five, six miles from our house, and I'd never paid attention to it before, but I was in like every welding class, shop class they would allow me to take in high school, and so I was always looking for parts and things to to build trailers and do whatever Kind of thing I could I could think of, and so I stumbled upon this junkyard one day, and I saw all these cars, and I thought this place is kind of amazing. You ever been there where you actually realize like what's in a junkyard? Like this place is kind of cool. I feel like there's a little hillbilly of me to say, but I like this place. Look at all these cars, and you look at some of them on the outside, like they look good. They're like why is this even here? And you realize though, like the value in it is that it's just got parts. It's got parts, but I would take some parts and I would use them. I remember I took an old 1982. Uh, Buick axle and built a trailer with it and like I just I did all kinds of weird stuff Years later, when I turned 18. I went to a car lot in Manhattan Maybe for the first time. I don't remember prior to that hanging out in car lots and I remember driving a nice newer car and just being blown away And like man, this is so much better This is so much better like this is a different there's a different ballgame. I look back now and I think man, you got a junkyard that's full of cars you've got a car lot that's full of cars. One of them's got value <laughs> and one of them doesn't. What's the difference? The cars work in one of them. The cars don't. They're just exchanged for parts. When people see your faith, when people, when God sees your faith, does he see you as a, a few memory verses that you memorized a few years ago because you felt like you had to? But that's about it. Someone who shows up and has some decent church attendance, but man, that's about it. Like you got parts that look like you're a follower of Jesus, but like when you put the whole thing together, it doesn't add up. God's saying, I got a bigger mission. Salvation isn't just about us. It's not just about us going to heaven. It's bigger than that. And so I want to produce something. Do you have a dead faith? Some people have faith, others have deeds. So you say, let's put them together. And he says, no, no, no. How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? So what, he's saying, okay, believers, what possible way could you get, like what evidence could you give that you actually have a legit faith in Jesus if you don't do anything? If all you do is say that you do, how could you prove it? He's saying, for me, Like, I'm going to give you evidence by the way that I live. So it doesn't have to just be, well, you know, this religion or this church is all about good deeds, and this one's all about placing your faith in Jesus. He's saying, listen, how about the two collide? Let's not pit them against each other. And one of them, the good deeds, will be evidence of that confession by mouth that you follow Jesus. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. So now we're going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember, context is key here. You're talking to Jewish believers. So these are people who would be very familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says that you believe there is one God. That is um, verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord God with your heart, soul, and strength. And he says this, to the Jews as a commandment that they're going to teach this to their kids. This is what Moses gave them in Deuteronomy 6. But here's the key. The Jews would have quoted this in the temple at least every day or wherever they were at in the city, and oftentimes at noon and night. So three times a day, potentially. You're quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's he's come like he's going straight. He's like you guys are going to remember this verse. You know this like you quote it all day long. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish How foolish. He's like, man, are we playing games with ourselves? Like, have we tricked ourselves into into what it means to follow Jesus? Like, have we we somehow separated (laughs) following Jesus from actually following Jesus? Like, how foolish is this? Can't you see? So this is repetitive here. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So it's meant to accomplish something. It's got an end goal. It's got an object, but it's useless for you. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the demons believe. How many of you all believe? Believe. The demons tremble in fear. How many of you fear God? But the demons don't obey. That's what makes them demons. So think about this. This is what makes this so scary. He's saying demons have a head knowledge. Satan has a head knowledge of God. Probably knows the Bible, knows God, has a theology of God better than most of us in this room. Like he's very familiar with God. Satan tried to usurp him. And they even tremble. So they're not like, "Ah, oh, God's kind of holy. They're like, "We we shudder. Like they've been cast out of people. They've been cast out of animals. They've been cast out of things from Jesus. Like they know who Jesus is. And James is saying, your theology can't save you. Your head knowledge can't save you. If we said, hey, do you believe? Most of us raise our hand. Do you fear God? Most of us raise our hand. Do you actually obey Jesus? So he has commands. We obey them. And if we say, "Eh." James is saying, good news, bad news. Good news is you're two out of three. Bad news is you're on par with the demons. (laughs) You and the demons got a lot in common. We look at demons and we look at Satan. We say, "That's, that's the epitome of evil. James is saying, that might be a lot of the church. Dead faith is for those who are immature. Some of them just don't know better. Demonic faith is for those who are insubordinate. Those who say, yeah, I I recognize there's a God. I'm just not going to do what he says. That's what the demons do. They say, don't. Don't mess with my salvation. Don't try to trick me. I'm not, I like, I know I'm saved. People have told me I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? Did you pray a prayer? What prayer did you pray? What did that prayer do for you? Do you know how many people across the world pray prayers that are going to hell? Oh No, no, you don't understand. I've read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. They talk about believing that Jesus died for our sins, confessing him as Lord, So I know, listen, you can have surety of salvation. You can have surety of salvation. But the same surety that we have, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, sealing us for the day of redemption, is the same spirit that's going to continually tell us, this is an act of faith. You're going to be moving. And so if you're able to sit there week after week, day after, like month after month, year after year, in church, hearing the word of God and not doing anything in response to it, that might be evidence. It might be evidence that the Spirit of God isn't in you. I'd be scared as a preacher if I told someone, hey, you prayed a prayer, I know you're saved. You could fake that, couldn't you? Have you ever said anything that wasn't entirely true before? That'd be all of us. But we're going to see, how do you live after this? And we can look at each other's lives and we're going to say, okay, does this mean i got to live perfect? No, none of us are. But you're going to have a new heart, a spiritual heart, one that desires to follow Jesus, one that desires. You're going to fall down. We all fall down every single day. That's not the issue. Grace covers us. Grace is still grace. This does not nullify grace. But the same grace that covers our sin also empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live out our faith in Jesus that provides some action to this you got to understand that even in the last 200 years, we have, ch- we have redefined what it means to be a Christian in ways that they did not for the 1,800 years prior to that. Things like crusades have incredible benefit, where one preacher goes to a town, a city, whatever, preaches sometimes to thousands of people. People place their faith in Jesus. Many people have been saved that way. I'm convinced Tons of people said, that's when I placed my faith in Jesus. I remember that's where it started. But there's also been a ton of people who placed their faith in, placed their faith in Jesus, that turned around and just continued life as normal. And nothing really changed. And it was just lip service. And we call this easy believism. We put so much emphasis on getting people to make a decision and to make a decision in the moment with a great intensity and then we take all the emphasis away from actually living out that faith. So we say just pray this prayer. Where is that prayer in the Bible? Oh, it's the sinner's prayer. Great, where's the sinner's prayer? This is modern day evangelical preachers saying if you at least pray this prayer, we'll know like we'll know you're saved. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You can be saved. Many people have placed their faith in Jesus during those prayers and actually been saved. But a lot of them have just been deceived. Nothing really changed. How many kids do you know have gone to kids' camp? Maybe you. They pray that prayer. They're praying all about heaven. And then they go on and live like hell for the rest of the year, come back next year at kids' camp. What are they going to do? Another altar call, feel convicted again. Let's pray that prayer again. Let's get baptized over and over and over and over and over, right? Let me ask you do, you, do you see the kingdom of God? Do you see the gospel as more of a seed or a stamp? This might sound silly, but it's important to think about. And to a degree, it's both. I'm not trying to trick you. But when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, and he speaks in parables, he often speaks about a seed. The kingdom of God is like a seed that a farmer planted, and it produced something. So it's all about growing up. A seed that was planted and a mustard seed. It was the smallest of all the seeds and it grew up bigger than all the other trees. And so it's this, this idea that like, when you place your faith in Jesus, like the word of God is a seed. The spirit of God comes in you and seals you, but you have a seed that's going to grow. And so we talk about working out our salvation. And for some of us that scares us. Like, what does that mean? I got, I still got stuff to do. And it's like, no, God started a work in your heart and he's growing that work and it's producing good fruit Call the sanctification. Your life changing and starting to look more like Jesus and less like your old life. But this is part of the beauty of being a follower of Jesus, is that you actually follow Jesus. And you're changed by him. Or do you see the faith more as a stamp? Well, I came and I prayed that prayer and I just know, man, that stamp, it, like on an envelope, it, it's, it's put on there so that it can guarantee delivery or so that it can be eligible for delivery. That's a That's a a faith that doesn't have much emphasis on what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, I just, want to, I just want to know I'm sealed. People come to a pastor and they ask, How can I know that I'm saved? It's like a top five question. More than they're going to ask, How can I be sanctified? How can I make disciples? <laughs> and then they like, How do I know that I'm good with God? And James is saying, let's not reduce our faith down to just believing and then shrink-wrapping ourselves and waiting on a pew until Jesus comes back. Let's be active. There's a bigger mission, there's a bigger purpose. You'll never, as a believer, prove your worth to God. You can't. You can't do enough good stuff to make him love you. You need to hear that clearly. That's not what this message is. What he's given us in Christ, the cross proves to us, you can't do anything to screw this up. And you can't do anything to earn God's favor. You can't fall out of his favor. And you can't earn his favor. Like we don't have that power. He gives us his favor through Jesus. So you can just receive that and enjoy that, but it's going to prompt a response inside of you. Last thing we see. So you got dead faith, you got demonic faith, and you got authentic faith. A couple different examples here. Verses 21 through 24, and then another one in 25 and 26. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? So your translation might say that he was justified. You ever, you ever told someone or, or heard someone say to you, you gotta get right with God. You better get right with God. What does that mean? Um, and he says that you're justified before God, that you can, you can be with God now by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete, or it made it perfect, it made it whole. So this was God's desire and design. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22, you'll see these stories play out. It says that he believed God when God promised him that he'd be the father of many nations. His credit to him is righteousness. But then he actually proved it years later, years later, when Isaac comes around, And he says, okay, you told me also now um, that I was going to be the father of many nations and I just had to stand there. Like I could give you lip service in that moment. But now you actually give me the son and you're telling me to sacrifice him? Of course, we know God provided a lamb as he has provided Christ for all of us for that ultimate sacrifice. But it was a test for Abraham. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. God was obviously pleased with this. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So this is a big deal for them because they're saying, he's saying to them, you're a bunch of Jewish believers, you're going to know who Abraham is. He's the father of the faith. So this is a really awesome dude. They're like, okay, yeah, this is a really awesome dude. Just in case you're thinking it's only for awesome people, this whole faith and this good deed thing together, I got another one for you. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. Do you see the irony? He's talking about this whole passage doing good deeds. And who's he giving as an example? <laughs> a prostitute. He's saying there's two extremes. For the Jews, you guys know Abraham, obviously, and it was credited to him as righteousness, his faith was. But also, there's a gal named Rahab. She was a prostitute, but even she was made right with God through faith. But she was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers. So you go Joshua chapter 2, spies are going into the land, they're going to the promised land, a couple of them go, and they were about to be found out by... uh, the folks in the town they were at and Rahab saw him hit him on the roof and then let him go down a different road at night sent them safely away by a different road so she stuck her neck out for these people and she said I know that I, I, I know a little bit about your God and I know that he's given you this land like this was, she was going against the grain her whole people this was bad and because of her job she probably would have been killed pretty quickly if she would have been found out to be not just a prostitute but a traitor as well Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It's pretty self-explanatory. So you got two extreme examples, prostitute and the father of Jews, but they're both showing authentic faith. This blending together. So he's like, okay, you got your words? Man, I hope you pray that prayer, that sinner's prayer, and you actually believe it, but now we're going to live it out, and it's going to be evidence of your faith. Let's talk about this for a second because if you study the scripture this might be a question mark for you back in verse 24 it says so you see we are shown to be right with God by what we do not by faith alone you say well does this contradict what the apostle Paul said like look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 2 or excuse me verses 8 and 9 Paul says it's by grace we're saved through faith through faith Alone, not by works, so that no one can boast. Of course, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess him as Lord, then we'll be saved. So you're like, well, this feels like they're two different, like one says, James says, you got to do these deeds with your faith, and Paul's saying, no, you don't, it's the opposite. James and Paul knew each other. James and Paul talked. James and Paul discussed theological issues. James and Paul met in Acts chapter 15 when there was big issues with the Jews and the Gentiles. They were part of what we call the Jerusalem Council in AD 48. This was something they would have been familiar with. And yet they didn't seem to have attention in Scripture. So why do we have attention? It's like the Gospels themselves Say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic Gospels, and so they share many of the same stories, and uh, you see different angles that they come at. So um, it would be the equivalent of of me saying, um, you know, Logan, Logan's here tonight. Um, He's at Crosspoint. And then someone else says, no, Logan's at a Bible study. And then say, well, Logan... um, is actually with his friends. You say, well, which is it? Is he at Crosspoint? Is he at a Bible study? Is he with his friends? Hopefully it's all three, right? It's three different angles of the same situation. And so that's what the Gospels do. In this case, Paul and James are doing that with faith. One of them, Paul is emphasizing the belief. You got to believe. And James is emphasizing the works. Well, you do believe, but when your belief collides with your behavior, we know this is Gospel. This is authentic faith. This is what God has for us. This is the way it was created to be. So, it's important to recognize um, this word here for faith in the Greek. It means confidence. It means trust. It means belief. So when he says, "You know," it's not by faith alone. He's saying by belief alone. By belief alone. So it's both, gotta have both. I bought some clothes several weeks back at Kohl's and we got home and realized weeks later that uh, as we're taking tags off of them, uh, that one of them had those little ink things, you ever seen those? Where like if you rip it off, it's supposed to have ink in it and it's supposed to mess up your clothes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Kinda, some of you. Um, And so we immediately said, we gotta go back and get that taken off. And I said, yeah, I'll just take it back. And Tara said, you're gonna need the receipt. I mean, I bought it from them. It's good. You're going to need the receipt. So we talked about it. Like, we better go find that receipt. Why? Because anyone who's ever returned clothes knows. Like, it's true. You purchased this. But are they going to believe you unless you get a receipt? Probably not. This is Walmart. They'll probably take anything. But we didn't go to Walmart. Went to Coles, and we knew, like, you got to have a receipt. Because in an unbelieving world, like, you can say this is mine all day, it can be purchased for you, but they want evidence. And James is saying, that's what what I'm talking about. I'm talking about evidence. Your good deeds are evidence that you have placed your faith in Jesus. For the thief on the cross, dude was about to die. Did he get to go do a bunch of good deeds before he died? To prove that he was good enough to go to heaven? No, Jesus said, you're going to you can be with me in paradise tonight. The only good deed he could do was the confession of his mouth. So you say, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Here's the reality. You and I aren't on a cross. <laughs> we get to live today. And James is saying for the rest of us, we're going to live in a way that's different if we actually follow Jesus. And so you enjoy grace. Grace is still grace. It is still good. It is still God who saves us. But it's that very thing that compels us, that changes us. Let me challenge you a little bit as we wrap this up tonight. I don't want to hammer you too hard. It's easy for me to do that. It's a gift. But just just a litmus test, just for yourself. If you're saying, is this, is this me? Listen, you don't need to be insecure in Christ if, if you really believe that Jesus died for your sins, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, seals you, and you say, I do want to follow him. I'm not perfect. We're not, none of us are perfect. Like You can have security in Christ. I want you to go, but maybe God's telling some of us, no, you specifically should not have security. You should be insecure. And that's not for me to say. That's God and you. But as a litmus test, just ask yourself this. For those of you who heard a sermon this past week, maybe it was at Crosspoint, wherever it was, what did you do in response to it? Did you actually obey whatever you heard? Maybe the last time we had Bible study here a couple weeks ago. Talked about favoritism. Did you obey? When was the last time that you read the word and you said, okay, let's not overthink this? I'm just going to read it, I'm going to receive it, I'm going to enjoy grace, but I'm going to do what it says. That's probably going to tell you, do I actually follow Jesus? Do I actually follow? Remember, you can rack up knowledge all day long. If you don't obey, he's saying that's what demons do. That's what makes demons demons. And yet we have loads of pews and chairs filled with people in the church today Ooh, that's as common Christianity as anything. We would even, in some cases, call it mature. Oh, we know lots of people who have been hearing lots of sermons. They know about God. We're like, hey, will you teach a class? Will you do something? And yet, are they actually doing anything? And James is saying, don't trick yourself. You might not actually follow Jesus. If you don't think you actually follow Jesus, you probably don't actually follow Jesus. At Crosspoint, when we talk about making disciples, we have a process we call love God, grow up, serve all. We ask folks to come, hear the gospel, worship God, develop a heart for God, salvation, baptism. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you called out, Jesus, be my Lord? Have you been baptized? I'm going to baptize a young man on Sunday. It's going to be exciting. It's a sign of new life in Christ, but it's a step of obedience. And even for that 10-year-old that we're going to baptize, you say, what does his life look like? Well, he hadn't been on a thousand mission trips. Is he eligible for baptism? How do we know his faith is legit? Because the dude heard the Bible say, believe and be baptized, and he believes the basics of the gospel, and he says, I'll be baptized. It's like, well, we're going to baptize that young man. That's his obedience. That's one step of obedience. Say, love God, grow up, serve all. Say, man, be amongst believers. Grow in your faith. What does it mean to grow up? Study the word, be in prayer, but be with believers, living out your faith, encouraging, challenging, discipling other people. Are you in a grow group? You can can follow Jesus and not be in a cross-point grow group. But don't trick yourself into thinking that it's good to do this thing alone. Most of the commands Jesus is going to give us relate to us relating to one another. So we should be around one another if we're going to practice the one another's, love one another, encourage one another. Why are you waiting? Are you ignoring what God's been telling you to do? Do you serve God? Do you serve the family? For those of you who've been here at Crosspoint, how long have you been coming to Crosspoint? Crosspoint? Three months, six, twelve, two, three, four years. There's so many opportunities to serve each other. Do you serve your brothers and sisters? It doesn't just have to be on a Sunday morning. It can be in a lot of different ways. But there's opportunities. We could go down the list. I want to encourage you be realistic. Not insecure. Be realistic about where you're actually at with God and know that today, tonight, you can take steps of faith. You can take steps of faith. And so I hope you leave encouraged and energized because Jesus is the object of our faith. He's the one who our faith is in, but he's the example of which we're going to live by, a selfless, sacrificial faith. This isn't about us. This isn't about us. That's why we don't just believe in the easy believism. We don't just say, let's pray a prayer and then just try not to do anything <laughs> until Jesus comes back. No, we say this is a bigger plan. God wants to work through us. He wants the whole world to be saved and he's inviting us into a family and as part of the family, there's a lot of activity that happens. Good stuff that God says, I want you to be a part of. Are you standing on the doorstep outside on the porch saying, well, I think I've been at this residence long enough to Claim it as my own, but I'm not actually part of the family. He's saying, get inside. Make your faith real. Do something. It's that work on the cross that compels us to say, okay, he gave his life for me and he's saying, count the cost and me give my life back to him. Am I giving my life back to him? So I don't know what that means for you, but it's going to mean that we actually take steps of faith.